Hello, I'm Ken Bruce. I appeared as a guest on My Time Capsule, and after that I had to give up a job I'd had for 46 years. <sighs> anyway, they want me to tell you that they've started a thing called Acast Plus, where for a small monthly fee you can get the podcast ad-free. For me, I think the ad's are the best thing in it. That Fenton Stevens, he does drone on a bit. Anyway, whatever you like, do something and have a go at it. ACAS Plus, my time capsule. Thanks, Ken. Charming. Anyway, to get my time capsule ad-free and for a bonus my time capsule, the debrief episode every week, subscribe to ACAS Plus. Details in the description of this episode. Thanks. Bloody Ken Bruce, what a cheek. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is a podcast where I ask my guests to tell me the five things from their life that they wish they had preserved in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish or would like to have again, and one thing that they wish they could forget. Something they want to bury in the ground and never think of again. My guest in this episode is the magnificent Bridget Christie. Bridget is a stand-up comedian, actor and writer. She won the Foster's Edinburgh Comedy Award for Best Show with her show A Bick for Her in 2013. In 2019, the show was named as one of the Times Comedy Shows of the Decade. Not bad, eh? And her 2016 show, Because You Demanded It, about Britain's decision to leave the European Union, was The Guardian's number one comedy of 2016. It won the Chortle Award for Best Show in 2017 and completely sold out its Edinburgh and West End runs. Also in 2016, Bridget's debut live stand-up special, Stand Up For Her, was streamed on Netflix across the globe, making her the first British female comedian with a stand-up special on the streaming service. On BBC Radio 4, Bridget has recorded Bridget Christie Minds the Gap, which won Best Radio Show at the 2014 Chortle Awards, a prestigious Rose Door International Broadcasting Award for Best Radio Comedy, and was nominated for a Radio Academy Award. Her third series, Bridget Christie's Utopia, was broadcast in 2018, and her fourth series, Mortal, in 2022. It won the BBC Audio Drama Award for Best Scripted Comedy. Bridget has guest-hosted BBC Radio 4's The News Quiz, and in 2019 she became the 14th curator of the Museum of Curiosity with John Lloyd. 
She's been a guest on Have I Got News For You, as I said, QI, Harry Hill's Alien Fun Capsule, The News Quiz, the BBC sketch show It's Kevin with Kevin Eldon, Dilemma and Taskmaster, Series 13. And finally, Bridget's own star-studded comedy drama, The Change, has just started on Channel 4. Plus, she's at the Edinburgh Festival in August and will be touring the country in the autumn with her new show, Who Am I? So, aside from all those amazing achievements, who is Bridget Christie? Well, let's find out, shall we, as we discover the four things she treasures and the one thing she would like to forget. Here is Bridget Christie. Well, I'm really excited to have you on this podcast. I have to say, Bridget, I'm an enormous fan of your work. Oh! No, and you must be really thrilled at the moment, just about to have your own comedy starting on Channel 4. I'm just buzzing, you know. (laughs) I still can't quite believe that I got to make my own TV show. It's who gets to do that? I know. And did you sort of go... Well, do you know what? I'd quite like that person to play that part and I'd quite like that person. Did that all happen as well? Yes. Um, So um, with a lot of the parts, I had people in mind Mm -hmm. and then for other parts, I just approached people who I, they were, you know, my first choices and then I thought, oh, we'll just start making our way down the list but we didn't have to... (laughs) Oh, well, I'm disappointed because that means that eventually you might have got to me, which would have been lovely. But, uh, there you are. Yes, of course. But, you know, you're quite right. Yeah, Paul Whitehouse, I quite understand. Absolutely. Jim Howick, yeah, good choice. You know, these are all brilliant um, people. Omid, Omid, of course. Of course. And, and Jerome. Oh, fantastic. You know, who better to be a pig man who lives in a cave, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's it's really amazing. It's great to be part of a community like that, I think. Yes, and in fact, a very supportive community. It, it, Everybody is delighted to see people doing well, I think. Yeah, they are, As, because we've all known each other for so long. Even things like um, journalists, you know, at the press screening on Monday, they're people who, you know, mm. if you've been going 20-odd years, they have as well. Like, they've been mm. writing about comedy for 20, 30, 35 years, you know, and you see the same the same people and you see the same names i think i think that's that's a really lovely thing yeah. you know particularly when so years and years ago they would have seen you do stand up or something and, and gone this yeah. is a really funny woman well I, I mean i don't know certainly not in the early days <laughs> <laughs> this woman has the potential to be very funny <laughs> the potential yes exactly <laughs> no so that's really nice i do feel actually with this show the change that things have come full circle. I feel that all roads led to here, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm I'm really, at the time, I didn't feel glad that I I had not got lots of jobs, but actually now I am glad because I wouldn't have taken the path that I took or that I have taken. I I wouldn't have perhaps written as much. I wouldn't have gigged as much. I wouldn't have toured as much. And those things really do inform your writing. Mm. And I'm glad that I'm the age that I am as well. Well, quite. You know, well, um, you wouldn't be writing about what you're writing about, the change. You wouldn't be writing about that subject. Absolutely not. Unless you're experienced in it, unless you know someone who's going through it. People know nothing about it. It's, it's extraordinary. Even doctors, in my experience, well, certainly male yeah. doctors, know very little about yeah. the menopause. Yeah, very little. It's extraordinary, the lack of expertise. I know, and I think I read somewhere, and God, I'll be, you know, 
if I'm wrong, but I think I read somewhere that it's not part of a GP's training, like it's not on the list of things, which does seem absolutely extraordinary when it's something that every single woman will go through. Mm-hmm. Just extraordinary, yeah. Yes. There's a lot of work to do, I think. But, you know, the first thing I think is to talk about it. Indeed. You know? Yes, my wife had to explain to our doctor. He did all that thing of sort of, well, HRT, but I wouldn't recommend it. But, you know, there are side. And she went, no, that's rubbish. That's all been debunked a long time ago, all that. That's old science. And he went, yeah. really? Oh. But, of course, then she can't get the HRT. Oh, God, no. I think I'm probably one of the most informed men as far as <laughs> this thing's concerned because my wife became perimenopausal when she was about 40. Right. And still is. Oh, so how long? She's 63. Really? Yeah, she's not quite become menopausal. She's still having a period. Wow. So she could still have children. That's quite unusual. It is, yeah. And she's really pissed off about it because she's going, for God's oh, sake, but... how long is this going to go on for? I know. That is... Actually, my mum's menopause went on for years and years and years. Mm. And it, it just never ended, you know. I am lucky. I think I went into perimenopause about 48 and I, I now, I'm 52 in August, and I haven't had a period for almost two years now. So, I'm, so you're menopausal. Yeah, exactly. So mine was quick. But it's not a universal experience, Michael. You know, we all have a different one, just like childbirth, just like pregnancy, just like puberties. They're all completely different, you know. Mm. But I think the silence around it is probably the worst thing. I remember in lockdown, I was suddenly aware of the weight of that silence, you know, and I remember I was I was doing my walk, you know, we were allowed to go out for our walk, and I'm, I haven't really thought about it until it until mine began, to be mm. honest with you, um, about the menopause. It just wasn't something that was no. talked about, that my friends, my friends, all my sisters, or and even my mum, I do remember my mum having symptoms, and I really regret not talking to her about it more on any deeper level other than are you okay mum you know because mm. I think that must have been quite isolating I don't know if she talked to my older sisters because I've got five older sisters about it but it suddenly struck me in lockdown and it started happening to me and I started noticing like older women from any age from between about mid 50s to 80 and I would look at them and I would think and a lot of the time they would be on their own you know and I and or struggling with shopping or whatever and I, I and I just thought, what was yours like? Did you talk to somebody? Mm. Did you have support? Did you have to leave work? What were your colleagues like? Was your partner kind to you? Were your kids kind to you? Have you got any kids or family? Or were you completely by yourself? Mm. And I just felt completely overwhelmed by it. I felt really, really sad. And I thought, I don't want any woman to go through that. No, It's a huge thing. Also, because it coincides with being a certain age, it's like two things at once. It's like being reminded of your mortality is one thing and then entering another phase of your life, which is, you know, I've had children and so I found it quite a, a strangely liberating realisation. Mm. But I think that if I had not had children, I think that I would definitely have a different experience and emotions about it because I would be thinking, yeah, fertility is such a huge thing. Mm to get your head around, you know. Well, for a lot of people, the whole idea of their fecundity, yeah. it defines them, yeah. particularly women, because they're told that all the time. They're told, they're told that, that their constantly. attractiveness is what makes them who they are. Yeah. It's not true. It's not true. But most people take that on board. 
So they find the loss of beauty. I mean, that's why the whole plastic surgery industry is there, really. It's because people can't cope with, I'm not what I was. I'm not as beautiful as I was or as perfect. I know. And that's a very strange world that we've set that up, particularly for women. I think that is true. But also, I think that if you're not someone who's taken power from their own beauty, mm-hmm. I mean, not everybody's, you know, no. we're just not, you know. I never felt that because I never felt that I had that anyway. So I didn't feel that I'd lost anything. Mm. And it was more about reconnecting with my true self, the person that I am, rather than losing my fertility and looks. Mm. It was much more about being happy that I was returning to to myself mm. And that I was letting go of all of exactly what you've just talked about, yeah. of those of those pressures. Mm. And I think another thing that comes with age, or and or a lack of estrogen, which is the nurturing hormone, mm-hmm. which makes us, you know, happier and more accepting and more tolerant. <laughs> <laughs> Once that goes, there is a liberating feeling. Certainly, there was for me that I could start putting myself first, or. I am entitled to be confident and have my say and say what I think and all of these things. And and also, I did decide quite early on to take control of it, mm. to be in charge of my own experience of the menopause yeah. and to not have somebody else's idea of it, to not be scared of it, to, for, for it not to be this negative thing. God, the things that we read and think about older women, it's absolutely outrageous. Mm. It really is. Yeah. What is the menopause and what does it look like? Well, you might as well ask, what does a person look like? <laughs> I don't think we do the same thing. I don't want this to be like a big gender thing. In fact, I didn't really know we were going to talk about this, but I feel like there's a whole load of images that we have for women that we just don't have for men. Yeah. Like men are seen as individual human beings. Mm. And we're just not. No, I agree. The very fact that medication that is given to many people going through menopause. As you say, the experience is very different for everybody. But some people, it can be quite severe and really debilitating. Yeah, totally. And HRT does help. Yes. But the fact that for many years they misunderstood the effects of HRT and now... Now that we everybody knows that HRT can work, suddenly it's not available. You no, can't get it. There's none left. It's outrageous. Yeah, I, know. I mean, if, if there were a thing that men had to go through, and I'm absolutely certain of this, if men had to go through the menopause, it would be everywhere. You'd be able to buy it on a corner shop. I don't think there'd be the menopause if men had it. I think men would have figured out a way of <laughs> <laughs> stopping it. <laughs> diverting it or something you know yeah totally but there's a huge gap just in in everything in in medicine and you know just in the way that drugs trials and things like that you know test a lot of tested on men and so women's bodies are just different you know and we respond Mm. to to medicine in a different way and yeah there's just a huge gap like there is in everything across the board it's both tragic and unacceptable and infuriating it's all of these things yes is it any wonder we are so So pissed off (laughs) (laughs) but it is at the same time laughable you talk about it and eventually you do end up laughing at the situation you say this is just absurd yeah completely absurd and the fact that you know kemi badenoch you know pushed back on the the cross-party policy to 
you know, make menopause a protected characteristic. Uh, mm. You know, it's just, come on, please. You know, can we just have, A, can we have some HRT? And B, can we just start looking after women a bit better? It's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. But there's other things. Obviously, I've got friends who are having an absolutely terrible time and the only thing is HRT and it's been life-changing for them. So, you know, mm. that might be something we should put in the... <laughs> <time>. <laughs> a massive well, supply. I'm, I'm How big, Mike, can the time capsule be? <laughs> <laughs> for you, as big as you like. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope and I'm sure that actually your new comedy will help to push this thing into the open. In, in its own little small way, I mean, I'm a comedian, you know, and I've written a TV show and there's other people doing great work. There's great, you know, books and and, and um, Davina McCall, obviously, documentaries and mm-hmm. podcasts and all sorts. But I hope in some small way, you know, we get can get through to a mainstream audience, you know, and it yeah. starts a conversation. That's the most I can hope for it, really. It's not about you should think this about it or you should do this. It's like, let's have a conversation about it. If that's the only thing that it does, then I will have, you know, ach- you know, achieved, you know. <laughs> Never mind. We are going to talk about five things that you've chosen from any time in your life that you wish you could have in a time capsule. Lovely. Four that you love and one that you'd like to forget. Well, I'm going to start with the most recent, which is a memory. Yeah. And that memory is of me and my two children, who are 12 and 16, watching (laughs) Finland's entry in the Eurovision Song Contest. (laughs) And it's, um, what is it? Cha-cha-cha. I I mean, I... (laughs) It's one of... It is genuinely one of the most joyous things I've ever ever seen. And the reason it's so special to me is because... My children are, they're 12 and 16, so they're at different points in their, te- their teens. And they're, and so mm. we often watch separate things. So I'll watch something with a 16-year-old and then I'll watch things with the 12-year-old. But that, we were, we were screaming with joy, like <laughs> laughing, screaming, happy, like from ear to ear. It is what, I don't know. And it was everything about it. I, I just... I want everyone, if they didn't see it, to go and watch it. It's one of the best things I've ever seen. And it was a combination of things. It was their green sleeves. Like, the the guy, the main guy, was, like, flicking his tongue out the whole time. They were on these, like, wooden crates. Um, He had no top on, and he had these, like, rubber trousers with spikes on. But he was so confident and he was so in the moment. I mean, how often do we do that? How mm. often do we truly live? How often do we see someone who is so utterly in the moment, not worried about a single thing? And it made me feel so happy to be alive. And, and his dancers, they had such white teeth. I don't know if it was the lighting or whatever, and they were in these pink kind of outfits and they were doing this kind of cha-cha-cha dancing. It it just made me feel happy to be alive. And we need these moments because life Mm. is hard. Oh, my God. Life is hard and there is so much misery and trauma and sadness in the world, you know, and the weight of it, and to see these little moments of humans being so human and so 
I don't want to say vulnerable, but so open and mm. and so free and exposing. I felt like he was showing us his soul. I, I feel like he was showing us the deepest part of himself. Unashamedly. Unashamedly. Like, mm. he didn't care about anything. He... And I just want to bottle that. And and I and you could see that he was thinking, this doesn't happen very often. And I'm not going to let fear take this moment from me. I'm not going to let anything take this moment from me. It's so, it's so easy to be defeated. I think it's easy to be defeated. It's easy to, to feel fear and insecurity. And I think I saw at a point where, like I say, I'm coming out of this menopause, you know, like I'm coming out of a cocoon, you know, and I'm flying mm -hmm. away and I've got my colours. And and I feel like he, because he looked a little bit like an insect as well. Like, I mean that as a compliment, <laughs> this little tongue and this little, uh, like those little sort of, like what were they? They looked like... Epaulettes sort of things. Like the green things. Yeah, yeah. it was like a, not a praying mantis, but... Like, you know, in like nature programs, when you see these little insects with their tongues flicking out and their <laughs> weird legs and these green arm things. Yes. Like, it was like he was being reborn. And I just, I just love him for that. You'd want every person alive to have experienced that feeling at some point. Well, yes, because nearly everybody, I mean, all of us, in fact, are often debilitated by our fear of how we appear and should I let people see that that joy that I have you know and so we restrain ourselves all the time I think in life and generally it makes your life less than it should be I think the people I know who don't do that are the people who have the most fantastic lives yeah but there's not I I don't think there's many I there really don't many, think no. there's many there, we're all there, trained to do that I think. it's our default but why why though I don't know I think most humans' default setting is overthinking, overanalyzing, fear, insecurity. But of what, though? And that must stem from self-love. I think all roads lead to that, because if we did love ourselves more, then we would also love every part of our beings, like our flaws, what we are physically, our bodies, the way that we think, the way that we speak. Um, we would accept those, but we would also recognize our strengths as well. I think there's a tendency to diminish those. I think so. Or, in fact, we never show them. We never reveal them to anyone because we're frightened that people will see them either as threatening or we will be embarrassed by our own demonstration of it. Yeah. Well, that's true in terms of, I think, especially British people are very averse to celebrating themselves for fear of looking arrogant or overly confident. And that, But this is a different thing. This is not about that. I think you can love yourself without being arrogant or overly confident. There's a balance somewhere. There's a point in the middle of arrogance and low self-esteem and self... There's a point in the middle of that which is the optimum place to get to. And there are many ways to demonstrate it, I think. Yeah. You can either be the person who leaps into the air and makes all the noise and the fuss, or sometimes that joy is the ability to sit back and watch everything around you. Yeah, or... It is. It manifests itself in how you interact with other people. So your joy for other people's success or your appreciation of somebody else's beauty or yeah. your joy in someone else's happiness. 
I think people struggle to do that or they're not able to do that without inserting themselves into the story too. Mm -hmm. And so they see the world through themselves. Yes, that you make yourself the centre of everything. Yeah, they can't separate Mm. themselves out from that. I've been there, I think, especially when I was much younger. If I think about myself as a teenager or in my early 20s or certainly in my early 20s, if I will give an example of maybe going for auditions and thinking you've got a, a, done a good job and then not getting that job and then seeing the thing and then thinking, well, actually, you know, either I would have done a better job or that's nothing <laughs> to do with the other person. That's all about the self, you know? Mm-hmm. And actually, it isn't anything to do with me. A lot of people go through life thinking that other people are being rude to them or thinking rude things about them. They look around and think to themselves, I know what they're thinking about me. And in fact, most people are not thinking about you. (laughs) You Yeah, no, we're so tiny, aren't we? (laughs) But it's so easy to get sucked into, you know, really overblowing yourself and your position in the world. We're tiny, Mm. tiny cogs. Like, we're not not even that, to be honest. If you think about this is a terribly ineloquent way of saying it if you think about space and the world and then you think about everything in the world and then you think about all the countries and all the people and then our own little community that you know I'm not even you know in my own household I'm like a small person you know what I mean it's like you know it's uh it's... But it is a lovely thing to have shared with your son and your daughter. It's yeah. really lovely. Uh, were, because also at yeah. that age, 16 and 12, that's a big age difference. It is at that age, yeah. But when they were little, it's like almost four years. When they were little, it wasn't. And I'm sure that when they're older, it won't be. When they're in their 20s, it will be nothing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's at that age, it is, it is different. And, you know, it's a big exam period for my son as well. So he's got his head down. And But it was a moment where... None of us were thinking about anything else. Mm. And we were just in the moment. And you know what it's like. It's quite hard to switch off, isn't it, with that amount of things that we're... We have our jobs, but we also have our families and we have our friends. We have the things that are worrying to us. It might be money. It might be climate change. It might be all these things. We can't get a doctor's support. It might be health things. There's loads of things that we constantly worry about. And to be taken out of all of that is a very, very special thing. And bless you, the Finnish... I don't even know what is... I don't even know what his actual name is. <laughs> I'll pronounce it wrong anyway, probably anyway. But that guy, I, do you know, I really want to have him as a friend. <laughs> Imagine if I did know him and he was like this awful, cynical person. <laughs> oh, no. And he'd had like, he'd had like joy training to help the song win. He spent you know. the rest of his life saying, why is the world not watching me? I am the man who should be looked at. Look at me, I look like an insect. Yeah. Why did you make me wear those arms and those trousers? You know what? There might be a show in that, which is that he is actually in real life a really cynical, negative person. I'm going to pitch for that. I'm going to pitch for that and try and write that. <laughs> so we want you topless, but these things on your... Sh- what? No, no. I, I was thinking more sort of James Bond. Like a, what do you yeah, think? exactly. Yeah. And no. yeah, keep flicking your tongue out. What? Keep flicking my... Why would I do that? Smile. Yeah, just smile the whole time. And then we're going to have you jumping off these wooden crates. What? (laughs) (laughs) I need a new choreographer. (laughs) 
brilliant. Oh, my God, brilliant. Okay, right, that's the first thing we're putting in the time capsule, Bridget. The finish Eurovision entry, yeah. That goes in, that moment. Um, The second thing is a fuchsia, a plant, a fuchsia plant that I've got. I love fuchsias because my mum had one in our back garden when I was growing up and little. Mm. And I always loved it. And I used to look at the little flowers and, you know, they look like they look like little ballerinas because they've got the yeah. things coming out and they've got the little um, things coming down that look like legs with the little bits on the end and the little skirt and the head. Don't get too technical with me. <laughs> God! <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. They do. The best thing I like about fuchsias is popping them. I know, but I've got this thing now where I don't like pulling leaves off or popping sort of because I'm like oh I've just killed that but um (laughs) (laughs) but um and I've got one in my garden and it keeps coming back every year and it's like survived years and years and years but also I would like to use my fuchsia as just nature really Mm -hmm. I'd like to put nature in the time capsule I it's under such threat and there's such beauty in it and there's there's so much wonder and awe and yeah and it's so nourishing and I think we just forget about it sometimes especially living in the city you can take it for granted can't you it'll always be there and then constantly you hear facts about nature things that have genuinely happened and the speed with which something can disappear from your life yeah I know and and that is happening around the world the the amount of species you know across the board um, that Mm. we're losing I mean my, my my friend um was had come back from Wiltshire the other weekend and she was saying that um a lot of the sap from the trees had dropped like her and her car was all sticky and I was like well but 20 years ago your car would have been covered in insects she was like what and I said do you not remember yeah and she said what and I said 15 20 years ago if I had driven home to Gloucester Mm -hmm. by the time I'd got to Gloucester I would have had my windscreen wiper going. Your headlights would be almost blackened out, wouldn't they? Blackened the out, yeah. yeah. And see, I'm quite aware of things like this, but there would be like light bulb moments. So that is one thing. And that's a, that's a real like tangible, that, that's, that's like just one tiny example yes. that we can all see, which is an undoubtable, clear as day things. It is possible to, to bring these things back, I think. It is, yeah. But it has to be a decision now. Like another thing that I said to my friend was, when was the last time that you saw a cow in a field? And she went, what? And I said, did you see a cow in a field? Just have a think about it. You know, I think she went on the M4 and then, and then she said, no, I didn't. And I said, no, because they're all in factories. That's where they are. Mm. They're all in sheds. There there are other sides. I mean, at the moment, this time of year... So I've lived in the same house for 30-odd years, so maybe 35 years, and they're townhouses, and they have a perfect place, a perfect place for house martins and swifts to nest under the eaves. Under the eaves, yeah. Lovely. At the moment, there are no house martins, and I can tell you 10 years ago, the sky would have been full of them at this time of year. And I think that it's because the places that they migrate to, the food isn't there anymore because of climate change. And, oh. and so the population has dropped dramatically. Okay. House martins, they're a sign of the seasons, aren't they? Yeah, it's how you mark time, you know. Mm. 
And the Starlings in formation, like, they would always be in Gloucester in the 1970s. I would always see them above a specific place where they would always be. And I have that memory. And I don't see that anymore. Like No, the murmurations. Yeah. Oh, they're amazing, aren't they? Yeah. But I, maybe because I live in North London, you know, maybe I just, yeah, it's these things that we have to be reminded of. And then you go, oh, oh, yeah. So I would like people to be reminded of those things and I'd like those things to come back. And living in North London, as you say, there would have been a time where all around you, everybody would have had a hedge at the front of their garden. Yeah. And they've, yeah, yeah. they've all been taken out and, and completely paved so they can yeah. park their car on it. Yeah, with concrete and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, and this is happening on a massive scale. Yeah. On a massive, massive scale. You know, I've got a huge hedge outside my house, mainly because I live on a really, really, really busy road. And so mm. I need it as like a barrier from mm-hmm. all the fumes and everything like that, but also for the sound. And also I feel like I'm protected from it all. I'm not because <laughs> it's just a hedge, a bushy hedge, but yes. I feel like I am. <laughs> yeah, I live in North London. I'm not protected from the particulates in the air. No. But fuchsias are the most beautiful plants, I think. They seem really delicate, but they're incredibly strong as a plant, aren't they? I've got a couple of fuchsia bushes in my garden that every year, I can cut them back really hard, and every year they come and they just grow to these fantastic display of flowers that go on for ages, right into the autumn. They're so beautiful. I know, and roses as well. I've got a rose that my sister-in-law gave me that I love so much, and it's had to be moved about three times. And they don't like that, roses, traditionally. They don't like to be moved. Well, she is doing very well. <laughs> She's a natural traveller. Um, yeah, and, and they've just, uh, it's just come out the bush now and it's, it, 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 you know, better every year. Have you ever read My Family and Other Animals by Gerald Durrell? No. He was a naturalist and yeah. formed a zoo in, in Jersey. Yeah, but yeah. as a young boy, he lived on Corfu with his family. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's a chapter in it where he talks about one of the teachers that he had, and he would say, well, I'm just going up to see mother. And he thought that it was a, a euphemism for going to the toilet. Right. Then one day during a lesson, he said, uh, would, it, would it be possible, if, sorry, I, I, could, could I visit mother? And the man said, you want to visit mother? And he said, yes, I really, really desperately need to visit mother. He said, oh, okay then. And he took him upstairs, and there in a room, was his mother in bed. (laughs) (laughs) I know this seems a long-winded way to tell you this story, but she was surrounded by flowers, and she said she could hear them. Really? I read this as a child, and it's always stuck with me. She said, no, I can hear them. As you get older, you'll hear them. She said, for example, somebody brought me some flowers this morning. They're in the vase over there, and there's something very, very wrong going on because they are bickering like mad. Really? And he said, he said, well, she said, I can't get out of bed, but could you look through them? What's going on? What? Tell me which flowers are there. And he then said, well, there's this flower and this flower. There's a rose in it. Ah, that's it. Roses. They just can't bear being crowded. Take it out and put it in its own vase. Oh, it's so beautiful. I yeah. just love the idea that the world yeah. could be that place. Yeah. It's not a mad idea to think that everything is communicating with with each other, is it, really? No. I no. don't think so at all. No. And they've discovered that that happens with woods, don't they? That actually yeah. that you have the mother tree and it, it actually exactly. checks up on the other trees. And exactly. It all through. Amazing. Exactly. Yeah. And that they communicate through the root system and fungi and 
you know, they tell each other when a when a tree is diseased or sick or a threat and they 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 flood it with nutrients and yeah, it's pretty it's pretty amazing. Yeah, so we should definitely put that in. Nature, we should, yeah. Yeah. And a beautiful way to represent it with the future. Yeah. Thank you. Lovely. Okay, that's two things we've done, Bridget. Right, time to take a short break for some adverts, I'm afraid. But never fear, we will be back in no time. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us. If you'd like to hear this podcast without adverts, then for a small subscription, you can with Acast Plus. Details in the description of this episode. Okay, let's return to Bridget Christie and discover what else she would like to have in her time capsule. I have the third thing is hope. I'm not sure where we'd be without that. No. And you can apply it to everything. I hope this my ice cream doesn't melt. <laughs> you know, I, I hope that the planet survives. You know, it, it's like just without hope, I don't think it would be possible to live, maybe, you know. No. And as you say, we are constantly surrounded by bad news. Yes, bombarded. On a daily basis. That could be, and I think for many people it is, very depressing. Yeah, I I read somewhere that the human brain hasn't caught up with the speed at, at which technology is advancing. And so our brains haven't evolved to deal with the amount of information that it's being told constantly. Yeah. And so mm. there's all sorts of negative byproducts of that. You know, the inability to sleep, you know, anxiety, all of these things, mental health problems, you know, and that's there's just too much. When I was a child, we would watch the news at night for an hour. Mm. You know, my mum would read The Citizen, the local newspaper, at night, once. That would be it. Yes. You know, and then our day was filled with other things. Now it's just we're looking at this constantly. Mm-hmm. Another terrible thing, another terrible thing, and then algorithms send you more terrible things, and then, you know, it's just we're on this the news cycle, and we've got to make decisions to go out without our phones. How quickly did that happen? And I do. I go out for an hour a day without my phone. It's very wise. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. But yeah, hope. And I think it's hard to feel hopeful when we're just told that everything is awful all the time. You do need to have a belief that actually things can be made better. And will be, yeah. Otherwise, you might as well just give up. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's all sorts of clever philosophical quotes about hope because I'm in the menopause, I can't remember any of them. <laughs> but there are loads of quotes about hope, aren't there? Without that, there is just darkness. <laughs> That'll be one that I've just made up. No, but, but the world is an extraordinary place and there are extraordinary people in it doing the most incredible things. And we mustn't forget that as well. No. We mustn't forget. Most people are kind, thoughtful, caring. Yeah. They're just under a lot of pressure. Yeah, and possibly fearful as well. But yeah, when you meet someone without hope, that's a very tired person. Yes. The awful thing of the suicide rate amongst young men, particularly. Young men, just, yeah. Mm. It's off the, it's, it's worth the worst it's ever been, actually, at the moment, and that's a terrible thing. But that is because of society. You know, young men are not encouraged to talk about their feelings and emotions sexism you know works both ways it is terrible that boys are told that crying is weak absolutely outrageous it makes me so angry all of mm -hmm. this stuff you know and um we've got to really start unpicking all of that it is not weak to show emotion no or to back down 
No. Or to admit you were wrong. No. Which a lot of men are told, no, you can't do that. You do that, you're weak. You have to be right. You've got to be right about things because you're in charge. Well, we see that in our politics all the time. You know, we Mm -hmm. never see any apologies. We never see any remorse. We never see any regret. And what an awful mindset to have. Like, imagine being in a in an industry or an, an, you know, in a job in which you have to do those things, in which you would not be allowed to apologise for the mistakes that you made or even admit admit them. That's the thing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Once you've done that, it's sort of the end for you. Yeah. Once you've shown that weakness, as people call it, you're no use to anyone. You, You can be the CEO of a company that completely fails, but it's not your fault. And then you can take over another massive company and be paid an enormous amount of money because that's the sort of man we need, a man who's going to make decisions and is not afraid to close the thing if he needs to. It's the last person you want running things. What you want is a group of people who can work together and and solve problems, not one person who dictatorially does things. And the whole of society is set up that way, I think. Yeah, I know. Which is a shame. But it's a form of insanity as well, and it's so damaging as well, I think. Because it's a form of delusion, like Mm -hmm. you're deluding yourself and trying to delude others. I think that dishonesty, I think that 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 mindset, people who live like that, politicians, CEOs of big companies who move around without any sense of responsibility or... I don't know how you can live like that, really. No. I think that that that's got to make you sick on some level. Yeah, no embarrassment in these situations. I was at a festival at the weekend uh, doing a recording of this podcast with the lovely Dave Gorman. Yeah. It was really brilliant fun. Oh. And at the same time, Mel Goodrich was there, and she was talking to somebody, and she knew that at 11.15, Michael Gove was going to be in a tent nearby starting his talk about why he's so brilliant or something like that. (laughs) So she got the entire audience of over a thousand people at 11.15 yeah. to shout, Gove is guilty. Did she? Which wow. reverberated through his tent as he was introduced, apparently. Oh, that is incredible. But wow. did it stop him? No. Oh, no, he'll like it. They like it. They like the attention. Weird. It's a thing. And I don't know how it doesn't catch up with them either. But if you look at somebody like Boris Johnson, who looks like he has always been that way since mm-hmm. his school days, will probably never think that they've done anything wrong. No. Because they have such an inflated sense of self and sense of entitlement. Clearly, the man who wanted to be Prime Minister has no qualms at all in saying that Parliament is completely corrupt yeah. and has deliberately done this out of spite, yeah. rather than respecting a parliamentary inquiry. Oh, yeah, astonishing, but idiots anyway but hope we have hope that's the important we have hope oh yeah we have hope yeah, for a better government in the future good we'll put that in that's lovely that's three things so uh, there's one more good thing i think one more good thing yeah that's yeah. right that is a, a box a little trunk of my children's first things so hair teeth things like that which i cherish because i kept them at the time because i wanted to keep them but I think now that it's so fleeting when our children are little, Mm. it goes in the blink of an eye. Like it's to have a physical object of that time that was theirs, that is from them. I'm really glad I've got that. And I cherish this little box and I'd (laughs) like to put it away. It's just a record of them. 
at that time. And strangely, you do look at your children, don't you, and still see that in them, even as they grow. That little tiny child is always in people, I think. Well, I see, for example, it's not in reality what they're like, but when I look at them, I see their little hands. That You know, <laughs> when they're little, they used to have little chubby hands because they've not got all the bone and everything. You know, and I there's certain things about them which I won't say because they'll be like, why did you say that about my hair or, you know, that part <laughs> of me or something? So that I'm not going to say the specific things that I love about them. Because <laughs> they're, they're like, you know, a certain little thing that's on yeah. them, you know, which I really love and I always look at and it gives me so much joy because something like the back of a knee or the back of a leg, you know, that I see and I will remember that running away when it was little in the playground from me or something, you know, mm-hmm. and... Uh, or that bit of hair behind the ear that's particularly wiry or something like that, you know? Yeah, I do. These things that we can touch, I think, are really important to humans. We like these objects. Memories are really important as well, but I think sometimes physical objects mm. can also take us back somewhere. Yes. So that's that's something that I would like to preserve. Lovely. I've just gone through it the second time. I feel as if the tiny child element of my grandchildren is now virtually gone. Oh, of grandchildren. I know, the youngest is six, and that's a point of where they want to be older, they want to behave older, they want to be treated as I know what I'm doing. Yeah, I know, that independence, it's, you got to let them go. My mum said, my mum had nine children, she said, you know, you don't own your children, you just borrow them for a bit and then you've got to let them go, you know, and it's so true. It is true. I'm there now with one, I'm like, how could that happen so quickly? (laughs) Yes, but you can hang on to those tiny little memories in that box. That's lovely. The first little lock of hair, the little teeth. Yeah. The... I've actually also kept both of the the pregnancy tests that I did for both of them, so I've got those in there as well. Really? And I just remember seeing those lines and thinking, oh, you know. And there they are. Oh, great. I wonder what it'll be. Yeah, and there they are. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, um, that's very... Sp- I'd hate that to be lost. So that's number four. Yeah, number four. Keep that safe in the time capsule. Lovely. So what's your final thing? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is a weird thing. I'm sorry. That's all right. But this is a really, really long time ago. Late 80s, I think, possibly 1990 maybe. And I went to stay. I was having a meal in Spain with a family friend and they were proper Spanish, you know. Yeah. The women were in black, you know. The house was the tile, there was the lace. And it was a special meal. I can't remember. It was some family event. Anyway, they had made a proper Spanish paella Mm -hmm. and I didn't eat meat at that point. Well, I mean, I'm a vegan now and so, and I was vegetarian when I was younger and so Mm. I would never have, I wasn't worldly wise at that age. I was about 17, I think, 16, 17, had not really eaten different types of food anyway. You know, it was a family thing and there was, I was given this bowl and there was just a chicken's foot in it and there was there was all sorts of different things in it and I sort of I thought I was going to faint but then I I went to the toilet and I vomited and I was sort of crying because I didn't know how I was going to get out of it because I didn't want to look rude but the sight of this foot like really upset like it really upset me understandably and there was like a, there was a bullet in there as well. Like, oh. a, and I was just pushing all the things around my plate. <laughs> and I think there was a, there was what else? What other body part was in there? <laughs> I just there was all sorts of things like seafood and this claw, 
and I just it was a it was a bad memory. I I, I want to forget about it a because of how I dealt with it, which I think was not it probably was I mean was it rude? I think it probably was. I didn't express my horror at the table, but I couldn't eat it, and I did get sick. Mm. And I was crying. So this lovely woman's meal that she had prepared with love for a family event had made me cry and vomit. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's so, and it, it reminds me of things. It's, a, it's also a memory of seeing me and my daughter were driving past. We live near Finsbury Park and there's a butcher's there, which because she's vegan, we're, we're all, we're vegan. My son's almost vegan as now. Mm. And they had had a delivery. So there was a lorry outside the butcher's at this one time and the back doors were open and there were about six pigs mm. hanging. And um, it was a shocking sight. I've got to say the smell and the sight of it, I would say was shocking. And I think that in years to come, we will look back on factory farming. We will look back on how we kept animals and how we killed them mm-hmm. and why. And the things that we destroyed to grow their feed, mm-hmm. the things that we have destroyed to house them, the antibiotics, that we, the, just the way that they've lived. And I think we're going to be ashamed. And I think that a lot of people still don't know that. No, I think you're right. I think people sort of go, what? What are you talking about? Yeah, they won't make the connection between the best gelati they've ever had and a cow being artificially inseminated in Mm. a small cage on a cycle of being pregnant. And then having the calf taken away as soon as possible to keep the milk going. Yeah, and that calf being put in a little brutal, absolutely brutal. These are living things. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we'll be horrified. I think there will come a time where universally people will revolt against the idea of eating animals. We will actually start recognising them as sentient beings. Yeah. uh, With feelings. Yeah, which we know that they have. We know that. We just ignore it. Most people, like me, I still eat meat. Yeah. But not anywhere near as much as I did, and I never eat red meat. But I think you're right. I think there will come a time. It may become necessary. That's the point. It may get to the point where you go, do you know what? We can't run the world if people eat meat. It's just not going to work. No. I think that is the single thing that we can as we can do as individuals to help mm-hmm, climate change, yeah. isn't it, apparently? That's supposed to be the one thing that you can do. The emissions involved in actually producing a chunk of beef are ridiculous. Yeah, totally. And we just don't need, humans don't need it. We don't need that diet. But it is a big secret. It's a shocking secret. You know, most people are good. When you do, I don't mean that most people are good, but I think people have a sort of 1950s idea of Mm -hmm. farming, which just isn't the reality at all. And um, I don't believe in kind of forcing, but I'm not sure that we will become a vegan planet. I don't think that people will stop eating meat. And I'm not sure that that's possible or right anyway I'm you know I'm sure there's a way of humane farming I think it's just seeing it I think it's just seeing documentaries just having that knowledge which I think understandably a lot of people avoid I did I avoided watching Mm. stuff for years because I had an inkling that it wasn't going to be pleasant and I loved cheese and butter (laughs) and eggs I do miss eggs and but but I just can't Mm -hmm. you know I could imagine if I lived somewhere right if I had my own farm and I had one cow that was really happy and some chickens <laughs> yeah. or a goat. I wonder if I would have their products. 
maybe if they lived with me and we had our dinners together and <laughs> <Maybe>. stuff. <laughs> and I said, would you mind if I had some of your... <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I had chickens for a, quite a while. My grandchildren are always saying to me, get some more. They love them. I know. I can't have them because I've got foxes around here and three cats. That's what got them in the end. They always do. They find a way. Yeah, they do. But they were lovely creatures to have. I miss them. You know, but uh, it is strange, that thing of sort of taking their egg away. I think if you describe almost any meat or animal-based product and describe exactly what it is in detail, people go, ugh. I know. So it's so strange, isn't it? Oh, is that what it is? You take the unfertilised ovaries of a bird... And then you crack it open and you you heat yeah. it up, or, or in fact you can just eat it raw. It's, yeah. it's lovely. You go, what? I know the muscle yeah. off of a cow. You sort of you take the skin, rip it off, <laughs> and you cut slices of the muscle. The best thing is to almost hardly cook it at all. And even better, watch the cow being killed. <laughs> watch it being prepared. Um, I don't know. I think didn't Hugh friendly. Um, what's his name? <laughs> Whittingdale or something. Didn't he have a programme where he actually did do that? Yes. Where he showed the whole process from beginning to end. And we ought to see that. And then you have an informed decision. An informed decision, yeah. Mm. That's that's absolutely right. Yeah. But I hope you've eaten paella. No, I haven't. No. Then I would recommend a restaurant not far from Alicante, into the mountains, you can look it up. It's best paella restaurant in the world. Is it? And they do a vegan paella, Ooh. which is asparagus. Oh, I love asparagus. Absolutely love it. It's gorgeous. Really? Alicante, that is actually where I was. Isn't that a funny coincidence? Yeah. Asparagus paella. Okay. Give it a go. I'll give that a go. In the meantime, I'll put that <laughs> dreadful yeah. eating of that meal and your reaction to it. You can forget about it. It wasn't their fault. It was entirely my fault. Which is often why you want to forget things, I think. Yeah. And you're embarrassed <laughs> by what you've done. <laughs> but how really gorgeous to talk to you. Thank you, Bridget. Oh, gosh, you too. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute joy. And I hope that Edinburgh's a smash hit. Actually, I'm coming to see you. Oh, great. I'll see you in Tunbridge Wells at the Trinity Theatre on November the Oh, how lovely. Well, maybe we'll have a nice wine after. Lovely. (laughs) You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my lovely guest, Bridget Christie. Many thanks for listening to our 299th episode of My Time Capsule. And that means, of course, that our next episode is our 300th. Hey, hey! So I hope you can join us for that, because we love to celebrate a round number on My Time Capsule. We've obviously got something special lined up for your entertainment, so don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to be sure of hearing it when it comes out. If you have a moment, please do rate us or even review us. You can listen to the Pass the Peas music composition and performance, in other words, our theme tune, on Spotify anytime. Follow me and slash or my time capsule on Twitter, Instagram and slash or Facebook if you fancy a chat. This cast-off production for ACAST was produced, as ever, by John Fenton Stevens. Right, see you next time for the 300th, which I don't think I'm going to spoil it by telling you that it's featuring Gerard Butler, Michael Fassbender and Dominic West, all with their tops off, showing their muscles as they defend Sparta against the huge Persian army at Thermopylae. Oh, no, no, sorry. No, I'm thinking of the film, The 300. 
our 300th episode will be much more exciting than that. Till then, bye.